Welcome to the Five State Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Mann. I record these podcasts to invest in the move of God that's happening in our beloved five-state region of uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. And what I'm going to do in this podcast is uh, I'm going to just share some uh, some the audio of some YouTube videos that I recorded. You can go to my YouTube page. It's called Five State Revival. And what I've noticed with during this whole coronavirus pandemic is that there's a lot of people who are actually wondering if you know all the chaos that's happening is like, does this have anything to do with some of the events the Bible says will happen in the end times? And they're actually curious, and they're like, I want to know about it. And and so I decided on my YouTube channel, I'm recording a a series of short videos on a playlist that I've called the End Times for Beginners. And I'm actually making these videos especially for those who are intrigued and they, they're hungry to know what the Bible teaches, but they've never really put much effort into studying it before in the scriptures. And they're kind of like, well, I mean, I want to know, but honestly, I don't know what I believe. And I don't really know what the scriptures teach. I've never really studied it before. Uh, this playlist is especially for you. And each one of the videos in this playlist, I'm just giving another bite-sized piece of information concerning what the Bible says about the end times. And by the time this playlist is done, you'll have a pretty good picture of what the Bible actually teaches about the end times. And I just feel in my heart, just in this season, it's it's hitting me even more. Um, this, this is my opinion, my conviction, but I believe it's of, of the Holy Spirit. I'm concerned for the church in the Western world that we are unprepared uh, to for the di- unique dynamics that we're going to be living through uh, in at the end of the age. And I believe, I think we are racing. I just look at the signs that of the times that Jesus talked about in the Bible that would mark the end of the age before his return and that unique season of history. And I see so many of these signs starting to come to fruition. And and in my opinion, I feel like we are racing toward the time period that the Bible describes as the great tribulation. And I feel like the church in the Western world, especially is really unprepared um, to thrive in that season of history. And I think one of the things we need to do to prepare is we need to actually take the time to study the Bible and uh, learn what it says about the end times, about the end of the age, and and uh, not just based upon somebody's opinion, but studying the scriptures with a prayerful spirit in dialogue with the Holy Spirit and saying, God, teach me, humbling ourselves and saying, God, I'm coming before you like a child. I know nothing. Holy Spirit, teach me. And I don't want to believe anything that I can't see for myself in the Bible. And so I, I think it's so important to do this. And that's why I've put the, I'm putting in the process of putting this playlist together on my YouTube channel. I really encourage you to go there and check it out. But what I'm doing in this episode of this podcast is I'm taking three, I'm actually going to play the whole, the audio of all the videos on that YouTube channel and this playlist, I'm going to put them uh, in episodes of my podcast because I want my podcast listeners to be able to listen to these things. I encourage you. I don't expect you ever. In fact, I don't want you to believe something just because I say it. Actually, when I say things about the end times, open your Bible to the passages that I'm talking about, study them for yourself 
and see if it really does say the stuff that I'm talking about. Study it for yourself and engage the Holy Spirit in this conversation with an open Bible. And he is eager to teach us. And you know what I found in my own study of the scriptures about the end times is one of the most edifying experiences that I've ever done. And I've committed to this subject, to studying it really uh, pretty seriously, probably for at least 10 years or more. Um, that I've studied it pretty seriously and off and on before that. And uh, it has helped me fall in love with Jesus in a deeper way. It's helped me to grow in the fear of the Lord. It's, um, it's, it's, it, it's helped me to grow in hope uh, and to live a life that's focused on eternity rather than just the things of this world. It is so edifying and so helpful. So I'm gonna play three of the audio recordings from those videos, uh, three of the sessions for you right here. So this is going to be a little bit longer of a podcast episode than I normally do. It's probably going to be just over an hour long. Um, so anyway, I, I trust that you're going to enjoy it. It'd be a blessing to you and, um, we'll get right into it right after this word from our sponsor. Uh, this is going to be session two of, uh, the end times for beginners course. And in this session, I'm going to answer the all-important question, what is the kingdom of God? And so uh, this course, I just want to, to say this. Um, if you have a hunger, a desire to learn about the end times, that you're, I think this is going to be really helpful for you, this playlist I'm creating right now. Um, and especially if you're brand new at this. If you're like, I don't know anything. I'm intrigued. I want to learn what the Bible says about the end times. I mean, I'd like to know. I'm curious. But to be honest, I've heard some things, but I don't really know anything about what the Bible says concerning the end times. Um, this is going to be especially helpful for you, and you can understand this. I think you're going to be able to understand it, and it's going to really benefit you. So in this session, again, I'm answering the question, what is the kingdom of God? So the kingdom of God, it's the place and people where God's rule is expressed or manifested. Um, so the word kingdom actually means kingdom, king's domain. That's what it means, the king's domain. So wherever the domain, the, the domain, the, the will of the king, the desire, the plans of the king are being implemented and expressed or manifested, you would say that is that king's dominion. That's where his reign is being expressed. And so... Um, Every nation or every sovereign nation has usually specified laws. They have uh, values. They have a unique culture that when that king's rule or whatever is being implemented in that place, it's done he, it, according to his laws, according to the, his values, and uh, he implements the culture that he wants to have. So I'll give you an illustration of this. Um, right now, here in 2020, if you were to ask, say, well, where is the kingdom of Great Britain? It would be uh, in Western Europe, right? Little little country in West, or a little, little block there in Western Europe. But you know, a while back in history, the kingdom of Great Britain was not only that little place in Western Europe, it was also located in India, um, in the American colonies, various islands throughout the world. Why? Because the British army had conquered and occupied these lands and enforced the laws of Great Britain, the homeland, in those new lands and among those new peoples. So, that became those peoples and that that new land became part of the kingdom of Great Britain because the laws and the culture and the uh, 
the values of Great Britain were being expressed now and manifested in that new land. I hope this is making sense to you. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's the, the person or the group of people or the, the place where people are seeking to do things God's way and obey Jesus' commands. And um, then his will or his dominion is being expressed or manifested uh, through that person's life uh, or the things that they're doing or in the place uh, where they're making those choices. So I can illustrate it like this. is Before I was serving Jesus, the kingdom of God was not inside of me. I was not part of the kingdom of God because I, um, I was not submitting to Jesus as my king. I was not seeking to do God's will in any way. I was seeking to do what I wanted to do, which, of course, was being influenced uh, by the kingdom of darkness, by evil spirits. So actually, God's will was not being done in my life because I was in rebellion against Jesus' leadership. I was wanting to do what I wanted to do. I was living in sexual immorality. I was in rebellion and dishonoring and disobeying my parents, um, which are both things that are explicitly against the commands of God. So God's kingdom was not in my life. But then the day came where I repented of my disobedience. And I confessed and acknowledged my rebellion and sin to God. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. And he forgave my treason, my disobedience, and he gave me a new heart. He removed my rebellious heart and he gave me a new heart that loved him, that could hear his voice, be led by his spirit to do his will. And so then I began on purpose making choices to find out what God says and obey it. So all of a sudden, his will started to be expressed in my life and all the good things that come with doing his will, like peace on the inside, righteousness, joy, self-control, these things, kindness began to grow and flourish and manifest in my life. So God's kingdom was in my life now. I was in the kingdom of God. I hope that makes sense. So right now, presently here in 2020, the kingdom of God is being expressed in the earth right now. Wherever people are seeking to obey Jesus as their king, to submit to him and obey his word, to follow his commands, his kingdom is being manifest in their life to the degree that they're submitting to him and following his commands. So the kingdom of God is partially, that's the key word, partially being manifested in the earth right now. But of course, God's ultimate plan is this, is that his kingdom is going to keep growing. And the more that people submit to Jesus and do things his way, and the more people get saved and turn from their rebellion and start following Jesus as their king, his will and his kingdom grows and grows and grows. And the Bible says that his kingdom is going to continue growing and it will have no end until eventually, after Jesus returns, his kingdom will encompass the entire earth. Like his will is going to be implemented or expressed perfectly among every person, every people group, in every nation, and every corner of the planet. And so that's ultimately what God is doing. If you were to ask me the question, what is the main thing that God is doing um, uh, on the earth right now? I would say that God is in the process of fully establishing his reign in all the earth. And um, and so that as people submit to Jesus as Lord and turn from their rebellion, um, and, every, and that every aspect of their lives, of life on earth, eventually as people turn to the Lord, will eventually be done according to his plan. And uh, so that the whole earth will prosper and display his glory and be filled with joy and righteousness and uh, all these kind of things. So... Um, 
God's will is not being done in all the earth right now. The kingdom of God is not happening exactly in every place, among every person, the way God intends, because he gives people for this season a free will to choose to submit to Jesus or continue in their rebellion. So we're going to talk about that. I'll get back to that in just a minute. But I want to just quickly talk about the different aspects of God's kingdom. First of all, the kingdom of God is spiritual, okay? So God, God's reign encompasses... Um, the spiritual dimension of his creation, which includes angelic beings, heaven, even hell. God's will right now in hell is being done perfectly, okay? And so uh, the spiritual dimension of his creation, his kingdom is being fully expressed and manifested there, uh, in, in those arenas of it. Um, the kingdom of God is also eternal. So therefore, those who choose to enter the kingdom of God by submitting to Jesus as Lord will get to live in and enjoy the benefits of his leadership forever. Uh, the kingdom of God, though, it's not only spiritual. It's not just, of course, it's eternal, but it's natural. And this is a new thought for some people. But, uh, everything that God created is designed to function under his leadership according to the way he designed it to be. So, therefore, um, his reign encompasses the physical dimension of his creation, which includes human beings and everything associated with human life, such as families, governments, nations, education, business, architecture, science, um, uh, ag uh, technology, entertainment, athletics even, um, God's reign also encompasses the earth and everything associated with it, such as animals, agriculture, weather patterns, and of course, much more. But in addition to the earthly realm, God's reign over the physical dimension of his creation includes everything else in the whole universe that's beyond just the earth, the planet earth, such as the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, all the vast galaxies that human beings have yet to be explored. I mean, God's kingdom, his reign is ultimately going to be fully manifested in every corner of all of these dimensions of his creation. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. Of course, right now, uh, the only place where God's will is not being done, where his kingdom is not fully being manifested, it's actually on the earth. It's because people, human beings, who, whom he gave charge over the planet, the majority of people living on the earth are in rebellion against Jesus. They do not want to obey his commands. They want to live in their sexual immorality. They want to live in disobeying their parents. They want to be able to say what they want to say, do what they want to do. No matter what, they want to live out their selfish desires, and they refuse to submit to Jesus as their king. They just persist in their rebellion. And this is the only spot right now in all of God's creation where God's will or his kingdom is not being fully manifested, but that is going to change. So you're like, well, why don't, why isn't God, why don't God just force it to happen if he's all powerful? Here's the reason why. God is permitting, uh, he is permitting people to continue in their rebellion against him uh, for this season on the earth. It's a short season until, you know, later after Jesus returns because he's merciful and patient and he wants as many, he's giving opportunity and time and space for as many people as possible to be able to repent of their rebellion and be saved from their sins and submit to his leadership. So that, because eventually Jesus will come back and when he does, he's gonna put an end to the rebellion and he will forcibly implement his rule in all the earth. 
And because by and to do that, he's going to have to get rid of the rebels, which includes all the evil spirits, and then all the people who are in re- persist in rebellion against him. He'll round them all up. He'll put them in a prison for all eternity, that, which is hell. It's called. A, it's described as a lake of fire in the Bible, and they will be there forever. So he'll get rid of the rebellion on the earth, and the only thing that'll be left is those of us who willfully of our own free will, we chose to leave our rebellion and submit to Jesus as King. And we will joyfully, willfully do his will in all things. And the whole earth will flourish under Jesus leadership again. So anyway, I hope this is helpful in describing the kingdom of God. You know, many people, when they think about the kingdom of God and consequently eternity, they, they typically think in mostly spiritual terms. So they think of things like, you know, uh, heaven and angels, etc. But they don't usually think of people and nations and earth and highways and education. You know, people will be learning in the kingdom of God forever, even after Jesus comes back to the planet. And uh, people will be making scientific discoveries forever you know, in the kingdom of God on this very planet, living with Jesus, you know, as I talked about in the last session, there will be highways, there will be architecture, buildings, beautiful buildings. Uh, The Bible describes all of that, and we'll get into that in later sessions. But, you know, these things are going to continue on the earth, only they're going to be done according to God's wisdom, according to his design and his plans, so that peace righteousness, blessing, prosperity will flourish all over the earth as God's kingdom is fully manifested throughout the earth. So anyway, I hope that's helpful. Before I finish this video, I want to take a few minutes uh, at the end of each one of these videos, if possible, and answer questions from you um, about the end times. So maybe there's something I said in one of the previous videos that you're like, man, it makes me wonder this. I got this question, or maybe there's something I just have not addressed at all that you're wondering about concerning the end times. Um, you're welcome to ask that to me. And you can do that by writing your question in the comment section below this video. And hopefully I'll see it and uh, I'll try to see it. And, uh, hopefully I'll be able to get to it to answer it. But if not, you can email me at five state revival at gmail.com the number five, statereVival at gmail.com. Email me your question, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get to it and and address it on one of these videos. So here's today's question. Um, It's from a YouTube listener, and uh, this is the question they asked. I think this is a great question. They said, will Jesus destroy the current earth as it is now and then create a new one? Or will he use the same exact earth as it is now but restore it somehow? without actually destroying it first? I, that's a great, great question. And the Bible actually says in, in, in Revelation 21.1, it says, uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And so that has led to the, leads to the question like, huh, what does it mean for the old earth to disappear and a new one to appear in its place? Does that mean that God is going to you know, completely incinerate our current planet where it's just gone completely and then start over and create an entire brand new planet for us to live on and and reign on with him? Or does that mean when God says, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth and the old will disappear, is it going to be the same one, but it's just like the old order of things, like the way the earth was under the curse Uh, defiled by sin, where everything is struggling to survive and where death is just constantly being manifested on the earth. The old order of things is going to disappear on earth and the new way of the kingdom of God is going to be fully manifested on the earth. So there are some people that believe different things. 
Um, some Bible scholars say that this earth will be destroyed and replaced entirely by a new planet. Per, and there are uh, many others that say that this present earth will simply be renewed and restored. Um, so based upon my understanding of the scriptures, uh, I, I have a pretty strong conviction. I believe that God will redeem, renew, cleanse, restore, and regenerate this present earth that you're sitting and standing on right now. I don't think this earth is going anywhere. This is the earth he started with when he created it, and I don't think he's going to get rid of this planet. He's going to restore and renew this exact same planet rather than just destroy it and create an entirely new one. And I'm going to give you some reasons for that. First of all, um, the language of the, you know, the, the get, getting rid of the old and uh, bringing in the new is, should be familiar to any follower of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So, you know, when I came to know Jesus, I wasn't entirely destroyed. Like my soul, my personality, like all of me was obliterated, incinerated. And he just started over and created an entire new being and gave it my name, Jeff Mann, and uh, made it new again. Now, it's, it's, the, it's like the same me, but the old, the old me, the way I used to operate, is gone. The old sinful me that was really led by my sinful desires and selfishness and doing what I wanted to do. And it was defined by rebellion against God. And I didn't know him. I didn't hear his voice. I had a hard heart toward God. That Jeff is gone. The old Jeff is gone. And the new Jeff has come. And the new Jeff is a different person. I'm like, I love Jesus now. I want to please God. I enjoy pleasing God. I love doing his will. I want to submit to God. And um, I'm joyful now rather than depressed, you know. I'm excited about my future. Um, I, I love my identity rather than being insecure. Like God has just changed me into a totally new person. But it doesn't mean like I'm the same human being that I've always been. It's, and, and I think that's the same way he's using that language when he talks about the old earth being gone and the new earth coming. It's the same planet. He's just the old order of things on the earth defined by sin and the curse is going to be done away with. It's going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed. And uh, the new earth is going to be the way God initially intended it. It's going to be done according to God's way and everything's going to be blessed and everything's going to flourish. And I believe that's why in Romans 8, 19 through 32, this is what Paul wrote. He says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. In other words, when Jesus returns and against its will, all creation, it's talking about the animals, the plant life, etc., was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So, when I became a child of God, I was set free from sin and from death and from uh, corruption. But the rest of creation is groaning under the, the curse of the effects of sin uh, and of death, etc. And all of the rest of the creation is longing for Jesus to return, the sons of God to be revealed so we can rule the planet with him according to his way. And they will be liberated from the curse of death and from the effects of sin, even as we're experiencing right now. For then it says, for we will know, we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I think one of the main reasons that some people would say, like, I think God's going to incinerate, just completely destroy this planet, and then create a new one, start over again with brand new material, uh, is based on uh, uh, 
a, a misreading, misinterpretation, I would say, of uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, where it talks about that the, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, don't have, I should have had it in front of me, but I don't. You can read it for yourself. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting around verse 5, and, and reading for several verses, it talks about how the present earth is reserved for uh, basically destruction by fire. But I, I think the key to understanding that, and, there, and so like, see, there you go. This planet's going to be destroyed by fire, and then God's going to create a new one. But they need to read the whole context, because right before God says that this, this present earth is going to be destroyed, it actually compares the analogy to, it, it makes a parallel to when the first time God destroyed the earth is the word it uses in Noah's day through the flood. It says God destroyed the earth through the flood in Noah's day. It talks about now we know that this planet wasn't annihilated by the flood life on earth. You know, the, the, the progression of rebellion and sin was destroyed and there was like a divine reset on the earth. But this is a, we're on the exact same planet that Noah stood on before the flood. It was like uh, the, the old order of things, the way things were, was destroyed. But the, the entire planet was not obliterated completely. And so it says, in the same way that the earth was destroyed by the flood, then it talks about in the same way that this present earth will basically be destroyed by fire. And we know, like, you know, there is going to be a dimension of God pouring out fire on the earth in order to, you know, uh, to cleanse the earth of the defilement of sin and death and the curse. And, you know, there'll be some type of, of that happening, but it's going to be this exact same planet. That's my conviction. Um, anyway, I hope that's helpful. So read that in its entirety. A really good book is the book titled Heaven by Randy Alcorn. If you read chapter 15 of that book, he deals with this question in a lot more detail. Really good stuff. You're just going to love that whole book anyway. If you're interested in learning about the kingdom of God in heaven in detail, what it's going to be like, just get that book and enjoy. Read it. You're going to love it. So this is session three, and uh, I'm going to continue in this video on the theme I started talking about in session two. And in session two, I taught about what is the kingdom of God. And we talked about how the kingdom of God, the big thing that God's doing in the earth, is he is building and establishing his kingdom so that his will is done perfectly in every single part of the earth. And when that happens, the results are peace and righteousness and joy and blessing and prosperity. And everybody likes the results of God's kingdom coming. Um, and that's the big thing that God is doing. And so that's where this is going to go. Jesus is going to return. His kingdom is going to be manifested fully. It's the blessed hope. It's good news about his return and his reign on the earth. But I want to talk in this video about this is the main point. Here it is. I want to talk to you that the Bible says that the kingdom of God is now and it is not yet. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. In um, the kingdom of God is on the earth right now. I mean, right now, the kingdom of God is, his, God's will is being done in many places in the earth in many ways and, and in many people's lives. Um, but yet the kingdom of God is still coming. So we see the kingdom of God is active right now. Wherever people submit to Jesus, his rule is manifested, and we see some of the results that he wants to come forth. But at the same time, the kingdom, it's here in part, but it is not yet here in fullness. And that's an important distinction to make. Many aspects of God's rule are to be experienced right now. 
um, while other aspects of his reign will not be manifested until later after Jesus returns. It's so important to understand that. There are many things that God wants to do, aspects of his kingdom that we should believe God for and that he wants to do right now, and he will do in part uh, according to the measure that we agree with him. But we also need to understand there are certain things that he promises Uh, manifestations of his kingdom on the earth that no matter what we do, they're not going to happen until after Jesus comes and, uh, or, or when Jesus comes. And so um, we are to aggressively seek and enjoy the kingdom of God right now, even while we eagerly wait for the kingdom of God to be fully consummated um, when Jesus returns in the age to come. So there's a parable in, in Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus tells, um, about that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And he really shows how there's this, the kingdom of God, it's active right now. Like the rule of God is active and being manifested in the earth, even as we speak right now in the present age. But the fullness of it is still yet to come. And we see that in um, Matthew 13, 31. I'll just read it to you. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. So that man, of course, is Jesus, and he took the kingdom of God, and it's like a seed that when he came at his first coming, he planted the kingdom of God in his field, which is the earth. Verse 32 continues. It says, Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So we see from these two illustrations, the visible expression of God's rule. It's minimal now. It's minimal, but it's growing. That's the good thing. He says the seed, you plant it in the ground. It's there. It's in the earth right now, the kingdom of God, and it's growing. Praise God. It's not fully mature yet. It's not encompassing every aspect of life on earth yet like it will eventually, but it's here and it is growing. The kingdom of God is growing. It's like the yeast in that huge batch of dough. It's just a little part, but you know what? It's growing. It's expanding. The influence of the kingdom is growing and it's going to keep growing until it permeates the whole dough. In other words, the influence of God's kingdom in the earth, it's here right now. It's growing. It's increasing. And eventually, um, Jesus is going to come back, and we're going to see it's going to fill the earth in fullness. So the kingdom of God is now, but it is also not yet here in fullness. I hope this is making sense. So let me just um, let me let me state it like this, and I think this is going to be helpful to you. Well, let me answer the question: So, what aspects of the kingdom of God can you expect to experience right now, like today? Um, everything that Jesus did and experienced during his life can and should be experienced by us today. So we can enjoy abundant life through our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We can enjoy many of God's blessings, such as his provision, his protection, uh, deep, meaningful friendships and relationships with other people. These are all manifestations of his kingdom that we can and should expect to experience right now in this age. We can exercise authority over sin, 
uh, authority over sickness, authority over demons. We can even exercise authority over nature at times. We saw that Jesus did that where he spoke to the storm and the, the storm dissipated and there was the sea became calm again and his disciples are going, who is this man that even has authority over nature? And we see that at times, not all the time, but at times God even grants us authority um, to over nature at times, to to call forth rain in seasons of drought. And um, and even like, you know, Elijah did, as a judgment from the Lord in his day, he called forth, under the word of the Lord, he called forth drought to bring judgment on the land. And then when the time was over of judgment, he called forth rain again, and it rained. And so w- those are aspects of his kingdom that we can experience in part right now. We can hear God's voice right now. We can enjoy fruitful labor and ministry right now. We can see God do miracles through us right now. We can pray for the sick and see them recover. We can cast out demons. We can uh, pray, and God answers our prayers in, in miraculous ways. I mean, these are all awesome ways that we should be experiencing the kingdom of God right now. Uh, We can enjoy answered prayers. We can see great revival happen through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, like they did in the book of Acts, where you saw in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, where Paul was preaching the gospel, and he was casting out demons, and God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And the result was, after two years of ministry in Ephesus, Ephesus, the word of the Lord had spread through all of Asia Minor, and there was a great revival in the city of Ephesus where people renounced their witchcraft and submitted to Jesus as their king, and they even burned their sinful witchcraft paraphernalia and idols, and there was a great revival. That was a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Those are things we can be experiencing right now, and we should be praying for and contending uh, in partnership with the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom manifest in these ways. However, we will also in this age experience persecution and the mourning that comes from living in the midst of a sinful and broken world just like Jesus did. So we see that we can see all these awesome manifestations of the kingdom, revival, miracles, answered prayer, all this stuff, wonderful fellowship with the Spirit, yet because we're in this age and the kingdom's not being manifested fully yet— We'll also experience hardship, we'll experience trials, we'll experience persecution. Not everybody's going to believe our gospel message. Jesus was extremely clear about that. There are going to be people that hate you because of your gospel message, and there'll be others that love you. And so these are things that we can expect. So then that begs the question, what aspects of the kingdom of God will we not experience until later, when Jesus returns or after Jesus returns? Things like resurrected bodies. We're not going to get resurrected, perfect, healed bodies that cannot die and that cannot be injured. We're not getting those until when Jesus returns. The Bible makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 and other places. Um, Another thing is the absence of trials and hardship. The absence of death and sorrow. Worldwide peace. We're not going to have worldwide righteousness and peace until after Jesus returns. And there's, there, are, there are some people who are, are good people. They love the Lord, but they, they, they're mistaken on what the scriptures teach about the kingdom of God. They think that, hey, if we just work hard enough, eventually everybody in the earth is going to get saved and follow Jesus. And, and, you know, it's like we, and then Jesus will come back after we get everything perfected and the place is filled with righteousness, and then Jesus comes. And uh, that's actually not what the scriptures teach. Um, we will not see worldwide righteousness and worldwide, therefore, worldwide peace 
uh, until after Jesus returns. Jesus makes it very clear that all the way up until his return, there will be um, a significant percentage of the earth that are entrenched in rebellion against Jesus, his leadership, and against the word of God. You can read that in Psalm 2. And one of the great things Jesus does when he returns is he actually destroys the rebellion. He actually crushes the rebellion, rounds them up, and gets them off the planet and puts them in the lake of fire. So we're not going to see worldwide righteousness and worldwide peace until after Jesus returns. Although we can see significant breakthroughs and advances of the kingdom of God, we can see whole villages come to know the Lord. We can see uh, revival in, in geographic areas. We're not going to see worldwide righteousness in governments and society until after Jesus returns. We won't see the absence of evil and temptation on the earth until after Jesus returns. Uh, These promises will not be fulfilled until the time when Jesus has physically returned to the earth. So I hope that's helpful. The kingdom of God is now. There's lots of aspects of his kingdom that we can experience now that we should be praying for and going after. However, there are other aspects of his kingdom that aren't going to be manifested and experienced by us until the time when Jesus returns and shortly thereafter. So I hope that is helpful to you. And uh, I want to uh, go into the last part of this video and take a few minutes. Uh, I want to do at the end of each one of these videos to answer questions that that you have about the end times or the return of Jesus. So you may have a question about the end times that I've not talked about and you want to know. Uh, you can ask me, you know, or maybe there's something I talked about in one of these previous videos and you're like, man, I, can you, it makes me wonder this, can you expound a little bit more on this or what about this other thing? So any questions you have related to the end times, I would love to hear them and possibly be able to even answer them on one of these videos. The best way you can get me those questions, you can uh, write your question in the comment section below the video. Hopefully I'll see it. I'll try to keep track of that. Or you can email your question to me at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. So it's the number five, then staterevival at gmail.com. So the question for today is from, he's a good friend of mine named Ray, and he asked, how does searching the scriptures regarding the day of the Lord help the Great Commission? I love this question because I am an evangelist. I have a passion for missions and seeing the Great Commission completed, and I'm a teacher. I love the end times, and these two subjects are meant to. In the Bible, they go together. They actually feed one another. So how does searching the scriptures about the day of the Lord help the Great Commission? So um, I'm just going to give a three-part answer to that. First, Studying the scriptures regarding the day of the Lord, um, it causes us to see the Lord's beauty in greater depth, which causes us to fall in love with Jesus in a deeper way. And I'm just going to say this, the greatest evangelistic force is the bride of Christ that is passionate and excited about Jesus and his leadership. I'm telling you, studying the end times, when you begin to understand the wisdom and the excellence and the brilliance of Jesus' leadership and his incredible 
beautiful character that's behind what he does and why he does it concerning the day of the Lord. You can't help but fall in love with him and just be like, oh God, you're so beautiful. You're amazing. Your plans are brilliant. I'm starting to get it now. You're wonderful. And that kind of passion and enthusiasm about Jesus and who he is, it's the most contagious evangelistic force you could imagine. Um, Second part uh, of the answer to this question is, Um, understanding the day of the Lord helps us to preach the gospel more accurately. And here's what I mean by this. I think in a lot of places right now, uh, we do not, people, even Christians, especially in the Western world, do not preach a complete gospel. We preach a partial gospel that's incomplete. So we, uh, the, the true testimony of Jesus, it's the good news about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. That's the total story of the good news about Jesus. I think a lot of times we preach the good news about Jesus' life. You know, how he went around doing good and he healed all who were under the power of the devil. And he can do that for you today too. He feels compassion for us. And we preach the good news about his death. And we say, man, you can be forgiven of your sins. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Just believe the good news and repent, and God will forgive you. And then we preach the good news of his resurrection. Yeah, he's ascended to heaven. Praise the Lord. So you can have eternal life because your sins are forgiven. You can go to heaven when you die and live forever. But a lot of times that's the end of the story, and people don't preach the rest of the good news. But the rest of the good news is that Jesus is not staying in heaven forever. He's coming back again to this very planet. And he is going to, um, when he comes back, he is going to cleanse the earth of evil. Like once and for all, he is going to fix the problem of evil on the earth. Because he's a good God, he is going to heal and restore the nations. He's going to restore the earth. And when he comes back, first order of business is he is getting rid of Those who perpetuate evil, he's getting rid of the rebellion on the earth. Because he's a good God, he will fix the problem of evil. Evil will not continue happening. Theft and murder and rape and extortion and corruption is not going to continue indefinitely on the earth. There is a day when Jesus returns and he will bring it to an end. That is the day of the Lord. Jesus returns. Now, here's the thing. Plan A for God to get rid of the evil on the earth is that we is mercy. He he right he died on the cross and he says to us, I want you to repent. I want you to renounce your rebellion against me. Submit to me humbly and as as your king and begin obeying my commands. And then he says, I will forgive you. I will give you a new heart. I'll take away your wicked heart. I'll deliver you from sin's power. I'll cleanse you from sin's effects. And I will help you become a righteous person. And so he gets rid of the evil in in us through mercy by our willing cooperation. But if if we harden our hearts and say, no, I'm not gonna submit to Jesus. I'm gonna do things my way. He's a good God. He's like, you know what? I, I gave you the mercy option. I'm still going to get rid of evil. And if you insist on clinging to your evil, the day of the Lord says that plan B is he's going to come back and by force he will take the wicked people and he will remove them from the earth and put them in prison called the lake of fire or hell forever and ever and ever. And there will be no escape. And God will still get rid of the evil on the earth. So plan B is judgment or the wrath of God. And you and I, everybody in the earth, we get to choose which plan God's going to use to get rid of the evil, the sin, 
the rebellion that's in us by either choosing mercy, humbling ourselves and repenting, submitting to Jesus as Lord, or if we don't do it, the day of the Lord, the scriptures regarding the day of the Lord make it clear judgment will be coming. We are going to give an account to a holy God for the choices we made in life. And so that truth, the total complete story of Jesus actually is the optimal message to bring forth the fruit of repentance in hardened people. You know, God, we have this God who is going to judge sin, so I need to repent. But we also have this same God who is merciful. He's eager to relent and give us mercy instead if we'll humble ourselves, submit now, and repent. So it motivates us to not put it off, to not harden our hearts, but submit to the Lord right now and receive mercy. And so the studying the day of the Lord, it helps us to preach a more complete gospel message, which I think actually brings forth greater effectiveness and fruitfulness in leading people to repentance. So, um, and the last thing I want to say about how studying the scriptures about the day of the Lord, how it helps us in the Great Commission, is because um, studying the day of the Lord, it equips, equips us to proclaim a gospel message, a true gospel message that is relevant to the season of history that we're living in. So uh, in Revelation 14, I, I might go into this in more detail in a future video, but for now, I just got to encourage you to read it. Revelation 14, I think it's starting in verse 6 uh, through the end of the ch- chapter or, or through verse something, I don't know. It, it's, it's a few verses there. It talks about a three-part gospel message that God is going to release throughout the entire earth Uh, during the Great Tribulation that will be especially relevant for people who are alive and the unique temptations they're facing in that season. And you can read, it's going to be this three-part gospel message is going to be tailor-made for the people living in this season, and it is going to be backed with supernatural, angelic power from the Lord, and many, many will come to get saved. And you can read the three parts of that gospel message in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 14. Um, You know, it's interesting. It coincides with the release of this three-part relevant gospel message in the Great Tribulation coincides with the, um, the false prophet and the Antichrist saying, telling the earth, he has a message and he's preaching. He says, worship the Antichrist, or you cannot buy and sell, and if you won't worship him, you'll be killed. At the same time, God releases this prophetic gospel message to the people of the earth that coincides with this other message, and it's the antidote, and it says, fear God and worship him only. So you don't worship the Antichrist. And then it says, part two, all who take the, uh, the, the mark, um, sorry, Babylon, the, the kingdom of the Antichrist is fallen. It is coming down. That's part two of the gospel message. He's like within three and a half years, his kingdom, which looks so powerful now, it's gonna be gone. Jesus is gonna eradicate it and all those who choose to be a part of it will be destroyed. And then it says, and all who take the mark of the beast, that's part three of this gospel message in the great tribulation. All who take the mark of the beast will go to the lake of fire and be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see this gospel message that people are proclaiming because they understand the day of the Lord. They're able to proclaim this relevant gospel message in that season of history. 
worship God Jesus and fear him only. Don't take the mark of the beast because his kingdom's coming down, but God's kingdom is going to endure forever. I hope that makes sense. But you just see understanding what the scriptures teach about the day of the Lord actually equips us to be more effective in the proclamation of the gospel. In this session, I'm going to talk about something that that may sound a little strange at the beginning, but hang with me because this is a predominant theme in the Bible, and uh, I, I, you're going to get it. It's easy to understand. So I'm going to talk to you about the two ages of earth. So the Bible speaks of the two time periods on earth known as this present evil age, that's a direct quote, and the age to come, Okay. So I'm going to talk about that. So during this present evil age, the majority of people on earth are significantly influenced by demons and sinful desires. Therefore, during this present evil age, the culture on earth uh, is largely dominated by evil, by wickedness, and rebellion. It's marked by rebellion against the will of God. You can read that in many places in the Bible. This is a pretty predominant theme. One of these places would be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and I just want to read it to you. It says, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the unseen commanders of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit in, at work in the hearts of those, listen, who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, and that's true. We all used to be sinners, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So that's a description, honestly, of the culture on the earth during what the Bible calls this present evil age, okay? That's the age we're living in right now. But then the Bible also speaks of another age on earth that is coming when Jesus returns, and it, it's often called the age to come because it's not yet here yet. It, it happens when Jesus returns. And the age to come is the kingdom of God where, where all demons are removed from the earth and God's rule is the predominant influence in the earth. So this age, the age to come, will be marked by righteousness, peace, joy, justice, prosperity, abundant blessing, and all the good stuff that accompanies Jesus' reign. That is the age to come. So you see the distinction between this present evil age that we live in. It is marked primarily by the earth being in rebellion against God and against Jesus' leadership. When Jesus returns and he gets rid of the demons, he gets rid of the evil on the earth, it's a transition it's an, it's, it, that is so significantly different because the rebellion is predominantly removed and the age to come is marked by people on earth celebrating Jesus' leadership, joyfully, voluntarily, enthusiastically submitting to Jesus as king and rejoicing in all the blessings that accompany the kingdom of God. So this present evil age that we're living in right now uh, has a beginning, and that's the fall of man. You can read about it. I think it's in Genesis 3. And it also, this present evil age, praise the Lord, it has an ending, which is the second coming of Jesus. The age to come, which is the age of the kingdom of God, which is blessed, it has a beginning, and that is the second coming of Jesus, okay? 
But here's the good news. It has no end. The kingdom of God has no end. So we see all the, the stuff we don't like, the sin, the death, the brokenness, the, all the, the disease, all the junk that accompanies this present evil age because of human rebellion against God. All these terrible things happen. The brokenness fills the earth. Praise the Lord. That's all going to come to an end when Jesus returns. He's bringing it to an end. And then a new age on the earth, on this very planet, is going to begin. It's the age of the kingdom of God, and it's marked by blessing, by life, by health, by prosperity, and all that good stuff. So I I do want to make this point, though, because it's important. There is an overlap between these two ages. So the breaking in of God's kingdom, it was inaugurated with Jesus' first coming, and it will be consummated at his second coming. So as believers, the kingdom of God, we're followers of Jesus. We believe the gospel, and we believe Jesus is God, and we follow him as our Lord. As believers, the kingdom of God, it is right now presently growing within us as the Holy Spirit progressively helps us to submit to Jesus' leadership uh, in the many different facets of our lives. Even now, the kingdom of God, it's progressively growing in the earth, and I talked about this in the last video on this playlist. It's progressively growing on the earth as more and more people hear the gospel and submit to Jesus as their Lord. However, the rule of God is not yet being fully implemented in the world around us. Thus, the kingdom of God, like I said in the last video, it is here, it's present and active in the earth right now, but it is not yet here in fullness like it will be in the age to come. So here's another important point about the two ages that I want to make. As we transition out of this present evil age marked by rebellion against God into the coming age of Jesus' reign, Uh, there will be a final judgment, the Bible says, where Jesus separates the wicked from the righteous. The righteous will live blissfully with him in his kingdom forever, while the wicked will be imprisoned in the lake of fire forever and ever in the age to come. So we see that in many passages of Scripture. You can read it in Matthew 13, 47 through 50, Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15. Also, I'll read this one to you. In Matthew 13, 40 through 43, Jesus said, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, which is a parable representing hell, the eternal punishment in hell, listen to this, so it will be at the end of the age. Again, he's talking about at the end of this present evil age, there's going to be a final judgment. Those who persisted in their rebellion against Jesus, he's bringing an end to that age of rebellion. They're going to be uh, put in the fire, burned in the fire, or lake of fire, it's, it's hell. Then it says, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom and others out of the earth, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. In other words, he's going to get rid of the rebellion. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, then, and at this time period, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ah, I absolutely love that, that scripture. But you see right there, that there we live right now in a fallen world that is marked by rebellion against God, by sin, and by, uh, and by brokenness and all the junk that accompanies sin. But this present evil age, praise God, it's coming to an end when Jesus returns and the age of the kingdom of God 
is going to be uh, increasingly manifested until it's fully implemented throughout the whole earth. And will the righteous who choose to follow Jesus as our Lord will live forever and ever and ever. So here's the final point I want to make on this subject. People often mistakenly refer to the end times as the end of the world. It's not the end of this world. This earth, this world is not going anywhere. It's going to be here forever. I talked about that in other sessions. This is not the end of the world. The end times, it's the end of this present evil age and the dawning of the new and the glorious age of the eternal kingdom of God. So the earth is not going to die. It will simply transition from being primary, primarily led by demons to being governed by God and the saints. Therefore, the term last days in the Bible, it does not refer to the last days of earth, but it actually it refers to the last days of this present evil age for which we all rejoice, praise God. And I think of this scripture in Mark 10, 29 through 31, where Jesus told his followers, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. Listen, in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, those are the things we experience in this present evil age. But listen to this, and in the age to come, eternal life. So there you go. You see in that passage the clear distinction between this present age the evil age, and the age to come, which is eternal, which is the kingdom of God. So I hope that was helpful for you. Before I finish out this video, I want to answer another one of your questions. Thank you so much to Ray for sending this question into me. It's a great question. I'm excited to answer it. And I just want to say this before I get into that. Um, I am hoping to, if I get enough good questions, at the end of each one of these videos, I'd love to answer questions that you have about the end times. So if there's anything I've talked about in these videos, or maybe something concerning the end times I didn't get to, and I didn't talk about this in these videos, but you're wanting to know the answer, send me your question, and, and I'll try to, hopefully I'll be able to get to it and answer it in one of these videos. You can do that by leaving your question in the comment section uh, below this video. I'll try to keep up with those and hopefully I'll get to see it. But the best way to actually get me a question is to send me an email at fivestaterevival at gmail.com. So it's the number five, staterevival at gmail.com. So today's question is from my friend Ray, and he asked, why is the day of the Lord important for every generation of the church? And I, I'm assuming what he means by this is you know, there, there's only one final generation that is actually alive on the earth when the day of the Lord takes place, when Jesus returns and the events surrounding his return happen, okay? But why does this subject, why is it relevant and important for every generation to actually study? It's super edifying for every generation, even the generation that's not going to be on the earth, alive on the earth when it happens— it's still super important for us to study it and understand it. And that's what he's asking. Why is it important for every generation of the church? I think that's how I'm understanding the question anyway. So here's my answer. First of all, I want to just define what the day of the Lord is. The day of the Lord, it's a biblical term, and it speaks of the final season concluding the end of this present evil age um, and the beginning of the age to come. And it's, it's the day of the Lord. It's that final season where Jesus manifests his will and makes his heart known. So he does this by destroying wickedness and rewarding the righteous. So I, I'm going to give uh, two different answers uh, 
to that question. First of all, it is important for every generation throughout throughout history to study the day of the Lord because, number one, knowing God's plans helps us to know Jesus, understand his heart, and worship him accordingly. Um, that's just so, you, you, studying the subject of the end times or the day of the Lord, it's studying the person of God or embodied the person of Jesus. And we get to see what makes him happy, what makes him mad. And we get to know his heart. We get to know, like, how does he deal with sin? How does he deal with injustice? How does he deal with corruption? And we see his response manifested in fullness in the day of the Lord passages of scripture. And it gives us insight into what he's like, his character, his nature, his heart. And then we can actually worship him as he is in spirit and in truth. So to me, that's like probably the primary reason. Second reason it's helpful for every generation to study the day of the Lord is because understanding how God manifest his will in the final day of the Lord gives us insight into how he will act in our current generation. You know, the Bible says that the Lord does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we study the day of the Lord passages, for example, and we see that, and we see that he will judge the sexually immoral, we understand that in our present generation, whether we're that final generation or not, we understand how God feels about sexual immorality and that ultimately we understand how God is going to respond to sexual immorality if we do not repent of it. When we study the day of the Lord and we see that God is all-powerful and that evil does not have power, Satan and the demons, they do not have power over God to do what they want. God brings their plans to a complete and sudden end and manifests his victory. It gives us insight into how he's acting in our day that we understand that God today in our generation has power over the evil one, and we could trust him um, to get, bring us into victory, to overcome sin, to overcome Satan and demonic attacks and evil, etc. cetera. Uh, another reason it's important for in, every generation to study the day of the Lord passages in Scripture is because knowing God's ways helps us to grow in the fear of the Lord and grow in confidence in his leadership. When we study, when I study the day of the Lord passages, um, it causes me to tremble. I feel sober. I'm like, man, God is a just judge. Like when you see God at the end of the age in the day of the Lord, dispensing the full cup of his wrath upon the ungodly. And you see his zeal in Isaiah 63 and other passages, his zeal to trample out all residue of rebellion and sin. You see the intensity with which he hates wickedness and rebellion and sin. It just causes the fear of the Lord to grow in me like, Hey, I want to make sure that I get that stuff out of me. I want to turn away from sin. I don't want to be connected to it when he's coming back in trample mode. And so the other thing, though, is when you see the day of the Lord, how he vindicates and honors the righteous, those who were persecuted and falsely accused, and he vindicates and rewards and he honors them forever. It gives me confidence in my day and my generation to say, you know what? Do what is right and turn away from what is evil. In the end, even if I'm dishonored now, in the end, the Lord will see and he will reward and he will vindicate me. It's going to be worth it. So, um, and then the, the final reason I, I want to give for every generation to study the day of the Lord is because knowing the final day of the Lord is coming, it gives us blessed hope that wickedness will be stopped, 
the wrong things happening in the earth, the injustices, the corruption, the wickedness, God sees it all, and they will be made right. He will personally see to it, and that righteousness and love will flourish in the earth forever. God is going to heal the earth. He is going to restore it. He's going to make the wrong things right. So it gives us joyful hope and confidence in Jesus' leadership. So so then why, I, I want to make this distinction too, it's not just important for every generation to study the day of the Lord. I would say also it is especially important for the final generation in this age that's going to be alive during the day of the Lord to understand the day of the Lord so that we are able to rightly interpret the dramatic events that will be happening in that transition generation. I mean, some dramatic events will be happening where... Um, a death wave that kills one-fourth of the population of the entire earth will sweep the globe in a super short time period. And then soon after that, a second death wave that kills one-third of the remaining population of the earth will sweep over. There, people are going to be confused. People are going to be like, what's happening? And there's gonna, I'm sure the media and the Antichrist and all these other people, there'll be conspiracy theorists out there. They'll say, it's because of this. It's because of this. There's going to be so many false narratives about what is happening, leading people into fear, into um, hatred, escalating hatred, leading them to self-medicate the pressure that they're feeling and the fear, the anxiety that they're feeling through drug addiction and immorality and drunkenness and suicide and all kinds of negative effects. But those who in that generation that understand the biblical narrative, they know exactly what's happening. They're like, guys, I know what's happening. I know what God is doing and it's good. And it's going to empower us to stay, to abide in him to stay filled with love, to stay filled with mercy, to walk in righteousness, to be filled with hope, to not be overcome by anxiety. It's going to be essential for the final generation to be, uh, not just understand the biblical narrative about the day of the Lord, but to fully buy into what God says in the Bible concerning that final day of transition from this age, present evil age, into the age to come. And it is going to empower us to um, knowledge. Biblical knowledge empowers us to overcome fear, resist temptation, boldly speak the truth in love, and also to avoid being swept away in the great apostasy at the end of the age. Um, If we don't know and fully buy into God's narrative of the end times, we will most likely buy into the false demonic narrative one of the many of those that will be uh, encircling the earth at that time, and it will lead to disastrous results. So we need to invest the time to study the scriptures, grow in wisdom, understand this subject, which is what you're doing by watching these videos. So... Thanks for listening to this episode of the Five State Revival Podcast. Listen, if you want to learn more about what the Bible teaches about the end times, I want to just uh, recommend an app to you. Um, I've just got it recently. It's the FAI app. It's a free download. You can download it on your phone. And it has a wealth of information, podcasts, videos, teachings, movies, 
resources about uh, what the Bible teaches about the end times in, in, and as well as um, how to in, uh, reports about the, the persecuted church throughout the world and fulfilling the Great Commission. It's really good stuff on there. And in particular, there is um, a Bible study called the, the Maranatha Fast that they did. And um, it is so good. You can listen to that. It's a great introduction to the topic of the end times. And as always, get out your Bible, actually hit pause, look up the Bible passages that they're talking about, that you hear me talking about on these videos uh, that I, that you just listened to and um, search it out for yourself in the scriptures. But it's the F-A-I app that stands for Frontier Alliance International. Also, you can go to my YouTube page, Five State Revival, and uh, see the videos and and, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And uh, then share this podcast with other people and share the videos with others. There's a lot of people who are wanting to know about the end times. And this is a great opportunity to share the gospel with people and lead them to Jesus. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you again on the next one. God bless you.